you definitely can increase your fees with existing clients, but in order to do that in a successful way, you have to introduce uh, new value. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 613. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and today I am thrilled to be introducing Michael Zapersky as our guest. Okay, I just need to make sure, Michael, I got it right again, because I told you sometimes I get it right in the pre-chat, and then I totally botch it. You are perfect. So you've had quite the interesting entrepreneurial journey. You've traveled the world. What would you say is one of the biggest highlights from your entrepreneurial career? That's a tongue twister. Try that five times fast. Yeah, you know, I think the the biggest thing which I just continue to remind myself and I talk about with my cousin and business partner, Sam, quite a bit, just the ability to to work with clients and, and do our work from anywhere in the world. Um, you know, so right now I'm in Vancouver, Sam's actually in Mexico City, and like good things are happening in the business. And, you know, we're I'm drinking a coffee here, he's having one there. Um, it's it's a big world and we can be in any place and um and still being, you know, enjoy what we've created over the years. I know you started your first business out out of high school. What were you doing then? And Actually, here's one of those batched questions. What was your childhood dream? Like when you were seven, did you have any idea what you wanted to be when you grew up? So the first thing that I remember that I wanted to be was a zoologist. I loved animals. Um, that didn't last very long because it quickly, my whole life became sports. Uh, and so I did baseball, I did soccer, I did rugby, I did track and field. I was very competitive in track and field, uh, shot put, discus and, and hammer to the point that I was uh, my coach, you know, I was in a track and field club, thought I should go to a U.S. university, get a scholarship. So we're kind of looking at UCLA and different places. Uh, but I think that I didn't really love that. I was tra- you know, training six days a week. So I stopped doing that uh, after several years of, of doing it. But for me, I think you know, being a professional baseball player was something that I, um, you know, I was kind of working towards and, and thought I had a chance at. But it's not where I ended up. So what was that first business that you had? So out of uh, actually this first year of uh, university, and actually I went to a college before I went to a university. My first two years were at a college. Uh, S- Sam and I started a company called Fingertip Media, and it was a web design and development company. It's kind of back in the early days of uh, of websites. Uh, Sam's focus was on the design side, and mine was more on communications and, and marketing. And we did that for a while. We worked with a lot of great businesses. Uh, and that was really the the start of our kind of entrepreneurial journey, which led to another business that we opened up called Kanke Culture. Kanke in, in Japanese means relationship. So it's essentially relationship culture. Uh, and that business, you know, grew uh, pretty considerably. And I ended up going over to Japan and opening up a branch office for uh, that company over there. I love that relationship. You said relationship culture, right? That's correct. Yeah. Kanke is the Kanke. Japanese word for relationship. There's so much that could be said just about that, because I think that a lot more attention needs to go into relationships than there is. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I think especially these days where it's very easy to automate things and to push a bunch of buttons, uh, you know, our society is filled with instant gratification. We can just, we can do a lot of things very, very quickly. 
And so in marketing and in growing businesses, unfortunately, a lot of the focus has shifted to transactions um, and it's moved away from relationships. But in my world, which is the consulting world, you know, it's where I've been building businesses now for almost 20 years. Uh, it's all about relationships. And the more that you invest into a relationship, the more value that you add, uh, the more you know benefit and, and growth for all parties. What would you say are some of the key factors of successful relationships? Being genuine, like actually, actually caring. So uh, I shared with uh, clients at one of our events several years ago, I think we were actually in, in uh, Lisbon, Portugal, the difference between being nice and being kind, um, they're, they're very similar. And I think, you know, when you kind of hear those two words, you may or may not really understand the differences. But if you look at uh, what the, the, the meaning of nice is, you know, when, when you're nice to someone, you might know that they should be doing something differently, but you're not going to challenge them on it, right? You're just going to kind of be nice to them. Uh, you don't want to cause any kind of offense. You don't want to ruffle any feathers. Uh, you know, you might have a client that says something and you're, you're agreeable to what they want, right? You're being nice. But when you're kind, you're going to challenge someone because you care more, right? You know that if you need to say something that may not be what that person wants to hear, but it's actually going to serve them better, that you're going to do that because not only do you feel the responsibility, but you truly care about them. It's like if you have a good friend and that friend tells you something and you know that's not the right thing for them or you know that there's maybe something else that they should consider, you're not just going to roll over and, and say, oh, yeah, like go ahead and do that. You know, you can just go walk down that street and go to like the wrong place and have a whole bunch of trouble. And you say, no, no, stay away from that part of town. Uh, I wouldn't go down that specific street for these reasons. You might want to go this other path, right? So it's it's a difference between being nice and being kind. I'm over here smiling so big because I walk that line in between the two in my marriage. Is this the day that I'm going to be nice? <laughs> or am I going to be kind and say what I'm thinking in a night, you know, in a constructive way? That will be helpful, but may not necessarily go in the intended direction. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a hard thing, right? And especially when you bring into into personal situations, uh, being kind, right, isn't always the easiest thing. Mm. Because when you talk about relationships, uh, whether business or in personal, a relationship is two-sided. You can't have a relationship with just one side. And so whether it's in marketing or it's, you know, in a relationship with, with a loved one, uh, spouse or otherwise – Right. If both people don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, they don't if they're not clear on your intentions, if you don't share those intentions with them, then they might misconstrue or misunderstand what your uh, you know, what your intentions are. And they might be upset of, you know, well, why are you ta you know, saying this thing or, um, you know, I don't like that you're not agreeing with me because people want you to agree with them. But if you truly care then actually disagreeing with someone if you that, if you know believe that's the right thing to do or or pointing out a different uh, option or different perspective is really going to be best for them and uh, you know best for you because you ultimately want the the best result for them you have me thinking now back to my my days in interior architecture school where the the professors could have just said i mean really they could have just said that's nice or as happened in one circumstance, a professor actually took an X-Acto knife to my model and slid it right down the middle. And mm -hmm. she was being kind. She opened my eyes to a whole new perspective. There you go, you know, right? And, but at that at that point, oh my gosh, it was devastating. I think I went to the ladies' room and cried. <laughs> I had put so much work into it, you know, but it was exactly what I needed. 
I just didn't know it yet. Yeah, and this happens in a lot of situations like with with clients, right? Whether it's around the, the issue of scope creep or or fees and, and discounts mm-hmm. or the idea of doing outreach and marketing, you know, people holding off, not wanting to to follow up or to make that call or to send that additional email or to show up or whatever it is because they don't want to be too pushy, right? They're they're concerned of, uh, is this person going to feel that I'm too promotional or, or too direct? Yet, if you really care about someone, if you really, you know, want the best for them, and you believe that you have something that would help them to get to where they want to go or solve a problem that they're, that they're dealing with, then that's a responsibility that you have because it's better for them to engage with you if you know that you can really help them versus going off to someone else who may not be able to provide the level of you know service and care and outcome that you can. I am not trying to start a gender debate here at all. I want you to know that. But I have spoken with women before who think that exactly what you were just talking about is so much easier for men, you know, approaching the subject of scope creep, Mm -hmm. you know, establishing the boundaries. Is that just a whole bunch of hoopla in your opinion? Like, I mean, I know you're a man, I'm a woman, so we, we haven't been in the other role. No, but it's easy to assume. Uh, Yeah. So, I I mean, we work with, we have uh, many clients, both male and, and female. And what you're sharing is, is certainly something that, um, you know, I've observed many times before. Um, but I also think that, you know, there's, there's advantages to, to both sides or, you know, really to the way that like whatever your situation is, right. Someone there's, there's plenty of, you know, we see plenty of women who have uh, been brought up in certain situations that actually makes them a lot stronger and a lot more direct than some men who were brought up in different situations and, you know, hide behind anything because they're just really, you know, there's a lot of fear in, in going out there. But I would say all in all, you know, the, the overall kind of observation is is that, yeah, many women do find it maybe a little bit more challenging to to be direct or to to do kind of that that level of follow up. But these are things that can be learned. Mm. And um, and when you really you know, see the outcome when you're able to have that mindset shift, uh, moving away from that you're doing this for you and said to you that you're doing it for the person that you care about and want to serve. It doesn't matter what your gender is. Then it's all about, you know, how do you support? How do you collaborate? How do you, again, add value to and, and serve those that you care? Um, and because marketers are, are leaders, mm-hmm. right? If you're, if you're really wanting to make uh, an impact, yeah, with your marketing and with everything that you're doing, then then it's all about leading. And doesn't matter again what your gender is, everyone has that opportunity. I absolutely love that. And you actually have me thinking, I, I don't mean to keep on saying that whole thing over and over again. But I mean, my my marketing style is very um, loose. And no, I don't mean that in a good way. Because I will I would say that I'm working on relationship building and connecting 99.9% of the time and only 1% of the time focusing on sales, which is Mm -hmm. not, you know, it's not a good thing. And then I have a client who I would have to say is perhaps 95% focusing on sales and 5% working on relationships. And there are often times when I wish that we could just mesh ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, get more of the me or of my marketing style mixed with more of with his sales style. And oh my gosh, I I mean, in, in what I can picture, it would just explode. Right. Yeah. That what you're sharing, I mean, I think the focus that you have on building relationships is the right focus to have. I mean, I don't know specifically what you're doing uh, in your marketing, but what, what I've observed is that many people just fail to 
have consistency in in their business, right, or in their operations. And so it might just be looking at like a common question would be how often are you you know, doing outreach to ideal clients. And then another question is how often are you following up with those people? And for, you know, what's your frequency? Um, how long do you keep that going for? What, you know, what are you following up with? Um, and then how often are you talking about ways that you might be able to help people? Just even like those three questions, when you start to analyze some of the data, like I often hear from people, oh yeah, um, I don't follow up. Like actually, in fact, I just got off a client call before jumping on here with you. Uh, with a client who has a very successful business, um, you know they've they've been doing three four hundred thousand dollars a year, one kind of person show, and um, they're riding this this roller coaster where they you know do a project and all of a sudden they have to then find the next client because they haven't really figured out how to do their marketing consistently. And I said, well, how often are you following up with these people? You know, you've we've worked on a lot of projects over the years that you've been in business. How often are you following up with these people, with these past clients, with you know ideal clients, so forth? Is it mm, not really like never? Well, okay, that's that's low hanging fruit, right? Like that's an opportunity to re-engage, reactivate those people to find new ways to add value, just to see what's going on in their world, and you may be able to add additional value, uh, even though you've worked with them in the past. Oh, I can so resonate with that. And when you were talking about consistency too, that I have to be honest, that has been a topic of discussion in my own head and in, in within my team. As well. I mean, the podcast is consistent now, but I would love for my emails to be consistent. I, I generally write from the heart and probably send a lot faster than I should sometimes. I mean, I want to fire the shoulds too, by the way, but I write whatever on my heart and I send it. But I have seen, I mean, let's take Murray Frolio, for example. She has a set schedule. People know when they can expect it and they watch for it. Mm-hmm. And she has the seven figure plus business. I mean, for all I know, it could be eight, you know, to show for it. Sure. Yeah. Do I mean, you, I think when you, when you look at the most successful people in whatever their field is, consistency is a big driver, right? Whether it's Stephen King, you know, writing books and, and writing consistently or artists putting out uh, music, they're just creating new tracks all the time uh, or, or painters that are just prolific in the creation of, of new works. Uh, it's if you're not consistent, then you're you're missing opportunities to to step up to the plate and you know and have an at bat. Uh, and so consistency gives you greater opportunity to not only to fail, obviously because you're trying more things, but just because you're up there more often, you're going to also be more successful because you have more at bats. Did your business transition again then after you moved to Japan? Uh, so yeah, I spent about five, six years building that business in Japan, working with uh, amazing companies like Panasonic and Dow Jones, Financial Times Japan, Omron, Sumitomo, a whole bunch of other uh, billion-dollar organizations. And then after that, I came back to North America, started another consulting business, this time focusing on lead generation for professional services firms like lawyers and uh, accountants and financial advisors, uh, investment firms, other consulting firms. And so around that time, both Sam and I, we were doing different businesses uh, and we were actually at a family barbecue and we said, hey, you know, it's been a little while since we've done a a business together because we've always kind of built businesses. We've sold some businesses together and so forth. We said, let's do something together again, but really like let's figure out a way to do something online. Uh, We've both always been very interested in in travel. We've spent time living in different countries. uh, And so we wanted to create something online. That's kind of really where Consulting Success was born, was this idea of let's just start sharing 
stories from the trenches of what it's like to build a consulting business, both the things that are working, also things that weren't working. And hopefully it'll help people. We didn't really know how we would monetize it. It wasn't really a business because we were both running other businesses. And, and uh, in Sam's case, he was uh, having, working at a, um, an English language newspaper actually in Japan. So, or magazine, I should say, but we were doing these separate things and we just thought, let's start it. And so we started, but it, you know, it got some traction and people were more and more interested. They said, these articles are great, but tell us like, how can we learn more? How can we go deeper into this? And that kind of spawned creating a course for people on how to become consultants and then led to a coaching program on helping consultants to accelerate their growth and, and get marketing systems into place. But it was kind of one thing um, after another. So I hope I'm answering your, your question there, but that was kind of the the path that we've taken. Absolutely. I know that Yes, thank you. You answered the question. And what you got me thinking about while you were talking about was mm, you said the things that did work and the things that didn't work. I know this is positive productivity, but I find that we learn so much out of the struggles that we face. What were the things, what were a couple of the things that didn't work for you and what did you learn from them? Uh, okay. So on, on topic of productivity, one that I keep, you know, I continue to share with, with those that I care about and, uh, and of course clients, um, you know, falls into that, into that category is that there is, there's different kinds of productivity. Uh, I think a lot of people have the misconception that being productive is about doing things. Uh, but if you're doing the wrong things, then you're not being productive. You're just spending time on the wrong things. So, uh, a, a big kind of realization for me over the years has been that, that not everything is, is equal and not, you know, just being like a, a common way for people to spend their time is to update their business plan or play with their website or play with, you know, this social media account or try and figure out how to like this new marketing thing works or, you know, think about writing a book and plan for every potential scenario that might go right or wrong in their business. But what they're not doing is actually building their business. They're not actually getting out there talking with prospective clients. They're not actually, you know, creating content and putting it out in front of their ideal clients. Um, so the, the, and I've written about this, I call it the kind of the builder's syndrome. It's where people often spend a lot of time building things that are easy and comfortable for them to do because they don't actually require them to get in front of an ideal client. But at some point, and ideally as quickly as possible, you should actually get out of the building, not just build anymore because, you can have the greatest idea. You can plan for every potential scenario, but if you're not actually validating that with the market that you want to serve, then you don't actually know what's going to work. And so the, the sooner that you can do that, the better. Um, and that came from uh, a real life example that, you know, Sam and I put, in, put over $20,000 into one of our businesses uh, or business ideas years ago. And our problem was that we, you know, we built out this kind of online uh, portal um, and product and we had all the different features that we thought the marketplace wanted and we kept working with developers investing more and more into it and the problem was we never asked the market what do you actually want and so when we finally kind of like launched this to people we found out very quickly that probably 95 percent or at least 90 percent of what we put into it people didn't want they just wanted like that five or ten percent of what we had and so we had to strip it back you know, completely kind of pivot and, and reshape it. And luckily we were able to make that business profitable and then uh, years later sell it. And so it worked out well, but it was a really important learning experience of making sure that you validate the market and that you're spending your time on the right things. Mm, I've made that mistake myself. I've also, I've also made the mistake of idea hopping and mm -hmm. getting maybe 90, 95% done putting something together, but then a new idea hits. And then I jump to that new idea. And well, that's the that's the builder syndrome, yep. right? Like that's and entrepreneurs 
are, uh, it's very easy for entrepreneurs to fall into kind of that phase because, you know, we like to build things. We like to create things. Um, but the hard part isn't just coming with the ideas or, or building things. The hard part is actually like, you know, executing on getting them out there into the market and not for everyone, but for many people, right? Probably I'd say for the majority of people, that's where the, that's where you actually face the greatest resistance, um, in terms of like mentally, right? You're most people start thinking, well, what if this doesn't work? Or what if someone tells me that my idea isn't very good or they laugh at me or I get no reception or no one shows up or whatever it is. So we, we play with all these things, you know, potentials and what ifs, which actually hold us back from, from launching what we've had. And so that's why if you, you know, Seth Godin has, I think his terminology is just ship it, just get it out there. Um, and that's such powerful, important advice. We kind of, we say to our clients, imperfect action is, is key. Uh, and I really do believe that that is so central to success. I had never heard that quote from Seth Godin before. So I want to thank you. Just ship it. That's amazing. <laughs> I I like how you call it builder's syndrome, right? Is that what you called it? Yeah, builder's syndrome. Yeah. I call it chronic idea disorder. <laughs> and well, I've your, been, your sounds more official than mine. Well, I've been working on the writing. Let me try that one more time. I've been working on writing the book about chronic idea disorder for as long as this podcast has been around. I mean episode 11 and we're on episode 600 and something was talking about chronic idea disorder. And I said, even back then I'm writing the book on it, but the mm -hmm. problem is I have chronic idea disorder <laughs> and I'm still working on, you know, coming up with the antidote that will at least curb it while I'm trying to focus. And, you know, it's, it's a challenge, but what I found has worked really well is backwards engineering where I want to be and where I am now and what the, what it's going to take in between because mm. for so long I wasn't, it was just get to my desk every day, start working on the first thing that pops up, whether or not it, it was relevant. And like you said earlier, I was busy being busy. Mm -hmm. I, I would have to say 2012 to 2017 were busy being busy. And it, it felt horrible every year starting up another year and not, I mean, doing my taxes was painful because it, it didn't show any great improvement. You know, I was busy, 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 bu that's a tongue twister that they should teach at school. I was busy being busy and mm -hmm. mm, yeah. Ouch. Hey there, my friend. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the positive productivity podcast. I wanted to take a quick moment to invite you to join the work smarter, not harder challenge over the course of 30 days. These free. Yes free. Short videos will teach you a few of the systems and strategies I set up in my business so I can get away from my computer and back to the people I love. I invite you to sign up now at WorkSmarterNotHarderChallenge.com. Again, you can sign up at WorkSmarterNotHarderChallenge.com. I know you did a presentation recently on six principles we can use to run a seven figure consulting business. Would you mind sharing some of those with us? Yeah, happy to. Um, so the first, this is just kind of what, uh, it, this came from my observation kind of boiling down. Um, well, actually let me back up. It, it came from a conversation that I had with a client, uh, when I was in Spain with my family and, uh, you know, I was kind of telling them 
all the different things that that we have within our business, the systems, the process, like what we've built that enables us to to run a successful consulting business while traveling the world. And in my case, I, I enjoy traveling when I'm with my family. Um, I try and you know travel as much as I can without them because I don't really like to travel without them. So um, that kind of spawned this this six different principles. And the first one is having a simple business model. So far too often I see people that believe that you need to have many different offerings, many different products or services in order to create high levels of, of revenue. But in fact, if you study the most successful companies, you'll see that, that they grow through subtraction, not through addition. Uh, the most successful companies get started by being very, very focused. They have, you know, one, maybe two, maximum three kind of key offerings, and that's all they need to get to seven figures, or in some cases, maybe even eight figures or nine figures. Uh, they don't need to have all things for all people. In fact, if they try and uh, achieve that, then they, they likely fail. So what we've seen is that if you want to get to seven figures as a consulting or even a coaching business, you just need to have typically two offerings. Sometimes you can even do it with one. Uh, so if you're trying to have five or, or 10 different things, you're going to actually end up slowing yourself down rather than, rather than allowing yourself to, to speed up. And it's really the, the reason for that is because the more offerings that you have, the more complexity you're introducing into your business, right? The more systems and processes you need, the more infrastructure, the more messaging, the more all these different things. And you're also creating more choices for people and people, if they have too many choices, there's a great book on this called The Paradox of Choice, right? More choice actually makes you less happy and it's harder than for you to actually take any action. So a great example of this is if you go into any kind of restaurant, uh, you know, let's say two restaurants, one that has a, a small menu with like 10 items you can choose from. You go to one re restaurant that has a menu with 100 options, right? Where, where does it take you longer to actually decide what you want to have? Um, and so being more focused, right, makes the decision easier for your clients, uh, but it's also easier for you to, to manage. So that's number one. Uh, another one, I don't know if we'll have time to go through all of them, but another one I think that's really important for people uh, is also creating like the right systems and processes in, in their business. So what we try and do is anytime that we're doing something that's going to happen more than once, we build a system and process around it. And that might sound like, kind of technical and, and hard to do, but it's really not. It's you know, not. I, no, I, no. I can't mm -hmm. believe how many people don't realize how easy it is. Exactly. So for us, um, you know, when we onboard new clients, uh, we used to do a lot of that manually, but we don't need to send out like a client intake form manually. We don't need to point them to a specific link to schedule a call. We don't need to send them this resource that we know is going to like change their life manually. Like all these things can be done through automation um, and it doesn't take away from the experience that the client has. So there's a lot of different, that's just one example, but anytime that you're doing something, just ask yourself, am I going to be doing this more than once? And if you are, then you don't need to do it yourself necessarily, either delegate it to someone else or find you know, a technology or some tool that can help you to make that process a lot more efficient. Um, another actually really great example of this that I love to share is just like a, a schedule link, right? Like some, whether it's Calendly or schedule once, some service that allows you to send a link to someone and they book a call with you. Like that's so uh, powerful because it saves a lot of time. And I, I know a lot of people use these things, but still a lot of people don't. Or another one is uh, sending contracts and, and agreements and proposals through an online service rather than mm -hmm. sending a, a PDF, right? right? So the steps involved in a PDF, like someone has to print it out and they have to sign it, they have to scan it, they have to upload it, they have to resend it. Like that takes more work. Just send it 
by like, you know, hello sign or DocuSign or EcoSign or whatever makes that whole process a lot more efficient and effective. Michael, um, I don't know if you realize, and I, and I realize we might not get through all six, but listeners, that's why you need to contact Michael after we're done here. But um, I do marketing automation when I'm do- not doing the podcast. And I, I was an Infusionsoft certified partner for the longest time. Listeners, if you can hear them, please pardon the kids fighting in the background. Um, I still work in Infusionsoft every day. My whole business mm. is, is in Infusionsoft. And Michael, you probably saw I had all those automated emails going out through yes. Infusionsoft. I use a scheduling link. You know, you fill out the, the intake form as a guest. It sends you directly to the scheduler. And then I don't even need to lift my finger. Mm-hmm. You know, it's That's right. everything. All the automated emails went out reminding you where to be, what type of, you know, if you didn't have a microphone. And then after we record, I I tag you with one link. And sometimes I feel guilty that it's not more personal, but I, you and I both have a life. We need to go live it. So if I can mm-hmm. tag you one time and a whole nother series starts, win, you know? That's right. Absolutely win. And I just want to share one other thing for listeners too. We have our standard operating procedures set up in Google Drive. We have a master spreadsheet, which serves as a table of contents. And then each row links to a Google Doc and it's on individual tasks. So anytime a new team member joins, they get access to the the spreadsheet. And if they need anything, go to the SOPs, go Mm -hmm. to the SOPs. Everything's in Mm -hmm. there that's done more than one time. Mm-hmm. Well, not everything yet. That's that. It's growing, <laughs> but it's it. Just that is a constantly evolving process. Yeah, it's creating greater efficiency and right higher levels of effectiveness. It's um, shifting again. So back to kind of like what we were talking about before, right? This is classic Pareto principle. It's it's eighty twenty. It's things that are lower value. Right. Most people end up spending the majority of their time on things that are low, lower value, where what you want to be doing is spending your time on the things that are higher value. Right. So you can see this again through the Pareto principle, but 20 percent of your actions right, will create 80 percent of the result. The problem is that most people are spending 80 percent of their time on the things that only create 20 percent of the result. So if you can delegate or create these automations or whatever it is, right, the team, which is another principle of the, of the six is building the right team. But uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean full time people. But once you have those right resources in place, then you don't need to spend 80 percent of your time doing the things that create 20 percent of the result. You can spend your time on like you know, 20, even 20 percent of your time. So a lot less time. So to go out and live your life and enjoy it. Uh, but doing the things that are going to have maximum impact and create higher value, which is, uh, you know, what it's all about in terms of creating freedom. Absolutely. Yeah. And my team has been so key for me. I. I believe I started building my team two or three years in. And after I started building my team, I wish that I had done it, you know, within six months, I would have to say. Mm -hmm. How would you address people who are concerned about growing their team with international team members? Uh, Well, to me, I mean, I I feel more like a global citizen than I do anything else. Um, So international doesn't scare me. I think it's all about uh, what kind of, you know, what is that person's role going to be? Um, And if someone is going to be client facing, then you may have some uh, considerations in terms of, you know, that person's language ability, uh, cultural, you know, understanding of cultural nuances, 
but if someone is, for example, transcribing something for you or creating graphics for you or they're doing just work that is not customer facing or that does not require them to be uh, a, a native you know, fill in the blank English or French or whatever language speaker, then then that's fine. So just get very clear on what is the outcome and what is the, the role? Um, how do you want to support your brand uh, and uh, and kind of position your brand uh, and then make sure that you're kind of living up to that through the people that, that you, you know, you work with and that you use. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had an example recently where we worked with someone and they're a great person, but the role that they were in we didn't feel like it was supporting the brand in the way that we wanted it to. And so we need to make some changes uh, in, in how they did their work um, so that they could still, you know, potentially shine in, in the work that they want to be doing, but uh, so that our brand is still being supported. Cause for us at the end of the day, I mean, that's what brand is, right? Brand is when someone thinks about you, how do they feel and what does it mean to them? And so if you create one impression, but then let's say, and I see this all the time, people that make all these big promises, but then when you actually kind of come into their world, uh, you see something very different. And I think what everyone should be striving for is to put a very consistent image. And then when someone comes in to actually work with you, that you at least deliver that same, like on that same level that you've been putting out, or even better, you over deliver, right? You, you show them a, an extra level of care. Um, you know, you serve them at, at a much deeper, more meaningful level. So they really feel closer to you. I had never done strength builder or any type of that type of evaluation with team members before I heard on a podcast uh, this year about a quiz that whoever I was listening to mm-hmm. had. It was a great quiz. Listeners, it'll be in the show notes. I just can't remember the name of it right now. But I asked all the seven people on my team to please take the quiz. And I was shocked with what I found out because I had a couple people um, serving customer facing roles. Mm-hmm. And the results showed that they that was not their strength and that was actually their weakness. And when I went and talked to them about it, I said, you know, I always thought that you like this stuff. They're like, oh, no, that's probably actually like my least favorite of what I do for you. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow. You know, the, I, I felt so blessed that I had had them take it because it, it instantly was just an improvement overall. You know, I was able to shift them to the stuff that they loved. Yeah, it's a game changer when mm-hmm. people are working in their, you know, kind of creative zone or um, I think as some people call it like the zone of genius, uh, then then they shine, then they enjoy doing their work and then they put out better work. Uh, and that's the kind of team that you want to build. Again, doesn't need to be full-time people, can be contractors, could be full-time people, could be part-time people, but it's building a team and you want that team to be um, working at the highest level of performance as possible. Absolutely. The reason why I was asking about international team members was because I I own a group on Facebook, 40,000 members, uh, called Virtual Assistant Jobs. And I've taken some heat personally because I do not delete posts where clients are looking for international, um, usually specifically Philippines, Mm -hmm. because of the lower rates. And I won't delete the posts because I've I mean, I have Filipino team members and they're amazing. And sure. I've been contacted by Filipino VAs who, who thanked me for not taking the post down because the opportunity that they were given through the group was like a three times, if not more increase over the, the minimum wage in their town. So it mm-hmm. was just opening up the doors, but the quality was the quality that I've always had is amazing. I mean, my podcast production team is in the Philippines. So even for listeners, if you don't feel like you can, higher in your home country, wherever it is right now, there's, there's options and you don't need to wait until, you know, 
until you're making six figures plus a year. Well, so yeah, here's the thing. And I think that's, um, that's a really important message, right? Just that there's a lot of resources available to people regardless of what country they're in. The other thing that, um, is a big opportunity for, for everyone, Kim is to really look at like when people think, okay, yeah, I don't want to go and hire someone or delegate this because it's going to cost me money. What they're not actually seeing is that it's costing them more money right now not to do that, right? So a quick example is let's say that uh, you're doing some work in your business, like maybe it's formatting presentations or doing some research or whatever it is, and and you can go out and you could find someone to do that for you for let's just say even fifty dollars an hour. So fifty dollars an hour, you can find someone pretty good to do, uh, you know, a lot of different jobs, right? A lot of different tasks. Well, you're looking at that and going, well, yeah, I don't want to spend fifty dollars an hour because ten hours you know, over the month or whatever, that's $500. I don't know if I want to spend $500. That's $500 less in my pocket at the end of the month. But what you're not seeing is what if your value is significantly greater than that? And hopefully it is significantly greater. Uh, and I'm not a big fan of, of hourly fees, but let's just say that you figured out that the value that you want to create per hour is $250 an hour. Well, if you're spending your time doing that work right now, right, you're actually losing $200 an hour. Because if you were to delegate that and pay someone the $50 an hour, you can now go off and find work and create greater opportunities that are valued at at least $250 an hour or more, which means that now it's not costing you $50 an hour. You'd be making an additional $200 an hour, if not significantly more than that. So that's the opportunity, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. the shift of mindset of seeing what you're doing as a cost and an expense, mm-hmm. which is a scarcity mindset yep. to going to how do I create like create investments? How do I invest more into my business and into myself, thereby getting a higher ROI? And that's an ab- abundance mindset. Listeners, I hope you just heard everything that Michael just said, because I have learned that lesson the, the extremely hard way. Before I had my current production team, I was in between, well, I was in between production teams and I decided that I would edit my show myself. And at that point, it was a daily show. I mean, we're down to two a week right now, but a daily show. So, mm-hmm. and I was doing infusion stuff primarily for clients. So I decided that I didn't want to pay $300 a month that I should, that I would be better doing the work myself. But my hourly rate at that point was $100 an hour. Mm-hmm. It took me 75 hours a month to do the editing. I did the math. It took me 75 hours a month to do the editing and the show notes and all the posting. So over three months, I basically threw $20,000 of, you know, potential client time down the toilet to save $900. Mm -hmm. It was so painful. Painful example, but hopefully one that people can benefit from. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, it hurt so bad. Yeah. Would you mind sharing one more of the, the principles with us? Sure. So I talked about team uh, a little bit. So maybe I'll I'll kind of skip over that um, and and offer another one, um, and that is to to be decisive. So I see like one thing that I've experienced myself in the early days of building businesses is the belief that I need to know everything before I do it. And uh, what I have observed and what I have um, experienced myself is that the most the greatest level of success comes from not you know not it comes from taking action even when you don't have all of the answers because if you wait until you have all of the answers then you're not going to 
take the action, right? Like you're going to always find something else. You're always going to want to try and get more information. And by that point, you've probably found something else that's even more exciting. Now you go off and it's like that whole path, you know, that, that cycle of, of going to new ideas. Mm-hmm. And so when you, when you feel like something is a good idea and as long as it's aligned with your plan. And so hopefully you have like a strategic plan for your business and for what you're working on, as long as it's aligned with that and it's part of that plan, then execute on it, right? Implement it, take action. Don't worry if it's not perfect. Don't worry if you're not sure about certain things. I mean, and I've seen this even in very interesting like areas where if, let's say doing real estate investments, um, you know, where you could find all kinds of different legal or tax implications or issues uh, that would hold you back. And I'm not saying like, don't, because again, this is not legal advice. This is not tax advice. I'm not any of those, right? So just a disclaimer there, um, right? Like you could, you could continue to try and collect all that information to the point where like, and study all about it so that you know, or, or believe that you know everything about it. And then you probably won't do it because you're going to delay yourself so much. But if you actually said, okay, yeah, this is what I want to do. I want to make this investment. I don't have all the answers, but I have enough answers that I, I feel like confident this is going to work. I've talked to some people, I've talked to a tax person, you know, I've talked to a few people. I feel like I, I know what I need to do. I'm just going to go do, it. I'm going to put, you know, I'm going to make it happen right now. And that's how you learn, right? You launch your business, you launch your product, you launch your idea. And then again, you learn what the market actually wants and you make adjustments along the way. But if you're waiting so long to take that action, then, and you're not being decisive, then you're really missing a lot of opportunities. So that's, that's been a re- another really important one for us over the years. And I'll make sure one other just real quick one, which is that in most cases, it takes just as much energy and effort to um, to enroll or to sign up or to engage and to win a project with a client that's going to pay you, for example, $5,000 as it does to line a client that's going to pay you $50,000. Um, I just actually spoke to another client earlier today as well who, um, you know, does co- uh, compensation work with, uh, he's a compensation consultant, does work with clients. And what we identified is that it takes just as much work for him to land a client that's going to do one survey with him versus a client that does 20 surveys with him and he charges per survey. So the revenue, the profit from one type of client is going to be significantly more because they do you know 20 times the volume with him, whereas one just does one. So if he puts his energy into just trying to work with all clients, um, he's missing a big opportunity, right? He needs to focus on the clients that actually have the biggest opportunities uh, and kind of ignore those that are smaller uh, because it's going to, again, be just as hard, just take just as much time for him to land the clients does one survey as it does to land a client that does 20 surveys with them. One of my clients or one of my mentors has, is constantly saying, stop stepping over dollars to get to dimes. Mm-hmm. And it's still getting ingrained in my head. And I, I see it in so many of my clients too. What's easiest is not always best. Correct. Yeah. And, yeah. and but, but, but sometimes also but sometimes it is. what's, well, yeah, like what is just, as, it's just as easy to, again, sell, you know, a, mm-hmm. a product to, to one type of client, uh, and sell, you know, it takes just as much effort to sell something very similar to someone else, but you can earn significantly more. I mean, this, this is a much bigger, I guess, discussion that starts getting into like, what your lifestyle is, what your business model is. But I just want to put it out there that I think, and because I've, I've personally observed this, um, actually I wrote a book on kind of this topic called the elite consulting mind, which the observation is that people hold themselves back um, and and don't maximize their fees or don't go after larger projects because they, they feel that larger is harder, right? But in fact, it isn't. Um, 
landing a, a bigger deal or increasing your fees is usually the only real thing that's holding you back as long as the value is there. But the, the biggest thing that holds most people back is just their mindset. It's the belief. It's what's between their ears. And so if you open up yourself just to like the, to the idea that, you know what, why don't I just try this? Why don't I make a shift? Why don't I increase my fees? Again, as long as the value is there, what most people find is they're able to receive those higher level of fees. I have a personal question for you. Not like personal of you, but personal because it's a question sure. of mine. So I'm a consultant and I want to raise yep. my rates. Is it appropriate to go to all of your current clients and raise your rates? Or do you think you should start that with the new clients that are coming in? So yeah, great question. You definitely can increase your fees with existing clients. But in order to do that in a successful way, you have to introduce uh, new value, right? No one wants to pay more for the exact same thing. No one feels good about that. Uh, so if you want to do that with existing clients, then the question is, how can you uh, communicate greater value to them. And that might be, Hey, um, just to let you know from, you know, this point forward, uh, fees are going to be going to this level. Uh, we're doing that because we're now providing clients with ABCD, uh, you know, this is what these things do. This is how they're going to help you. These are the outcomes and results and benefits that you're going to get from them. Now people feel, okay, that's justified. Like I appreciate that additional value. Yes, I'm willing to make that additional investment. And of course, some clients may not continue on, but typically if you've done it properly, the, it means that you'll end up making the same amount of money or if not more with fewer clients, which is not a, not a bad thing, but certainly with, uh, new clients, right. Mm -hmm. in, uh, increasing your fees is, is a much easier thing to do because they're not comparing it to, you know, what you were doing previously. You just blew up my business. Thank you. You're very welcome. Let yeah, me know how it goes. I, yeah, I've had, I had faced a struggle, but it was because I was not, you know, representing and 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 just expressing the increased value. So, oh my gosh, thank you. What my are you pleasure. most excited about in the next ninety days? Uh, so, I'll give you two things, uh, if you don't mind. One is personal. One is business. So. Uh, personal is just continue to watch my my two daughters grow and interact. Um, they're just the way that they're they're growing up together is is a beautiful thing, and I just I just really enjoy that. So uh, that's number one. Number two is uh, we've uh, we released a new program for early stage consultants, and in the ten years of of running consulting success, uh, it's just I feel the most proud of of the product. So it's called Momentum. Uh, and every week we get emails from consultants who have either transitioned from the corporate world into consulting or they've been consulting for a few years, but haven't been able to kind of, you know, reach that six figure kind of per year level of income. Uh, and people are, are landing new clients. They're winning bigger proposals. They just feel clear and more confident about what they need to do. They have a, a real plan of action. Uh, and so that's just something that I'm very proud of, uh, because the results that people are getting and, uh, I'm excited to to see where that's going to continue to go because we have some some big plans for it. Doesn't it just feel great when what you're doing helps so much? It's it's the only like it's the only thing. I mean, I'm mm -hmm. uh, when I was younger, uh, revenue used to excite me, right? Me making making more money excited me, and. Uh, after building businesses and selling businesses, like, sure, it's nice to, to create more income and, and more wealth and, and all that kind of stuff. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I really appreciate that. And I, I enjoy it. Uh, but it's nothing compared to the, uh, to the motivation and, and the excitement and just kind of like the thrill or that feel, you know, that kind of inside feel good, uh, of that I get from helping someone. And it doesn't, it's of course in the business world, but I also just get that from like, if you meet someone and they're lost or, 
you know, so, so an older person might be carrying something that's really heavy. Like just ha- when you help people, right? There's a weird, there's a good feeling, an inside kind of that inner glow that comes. That feeling, whether it's with clients or in other situations, is what I you know kind of enjoy and appreciate most about life. I would love for my bank account to be full, if if there's such thing as full. But I, it won't mean anything unless my heart is full right along with it. Yeah, well, you you, yeah. you can't you can't take money with you when you die, mm-hmm. right? And at a certain point, um, it's I mean you know it goes towards like material things right. or things that you don't necessarily need. And of course, hopefully, you can channel that into into helping others and um, and just doing things that yeah that bring other people up and support other people. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm a big believer of of living in the moment, and uh, it's all about creating memories because those are the things that you know you can you can have a you can have a nice new watch and that's great if you enjoy it, like all good or a nice new car and great if you enjoy it. Um, but it's the memories that you create with those things. And so that's been my big focus is creating memories with, with those that I love and with our clients. Absolutely love that. And I love how you brought up your kids too. I, I Next week I have one that's going into kindergarten and one that's going to be a junior and the junior is eligible to get his driver's permit any day, <laughs> which is scary, but amazing yes. at the same time. Yeah. You know, yes, you can drive the car, but you have to go to the store while you're out. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Michael, this has been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. You've given me so much inspiration. Actually, listeners, I want to hear what ahas you got out of this episode. So head on over to thekimsutton.com forward slash PP613 and leave your ahas below the show notes. Michael, where can listeners find you online, connect and get to know more about the services and programs that you offer? Yeah, definitely. I welcome anyone to to reach out and connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, and if you want to link up the profile or just type in Michael Zapersky into LinkedIn, um, just put a little message. Let me know that you heard me on Kim's show. Um, and yeah, I'd love to hear from you. And then if you are a consultant or you're looking to get into the consulting business, uh, we do have a 47-page a free guide on becoming a successful consultant. Uh, and it's a blueprint. You can get it at consultingsuccess.com forward slash blueprint. Thank you for making the URL easy on behalf of all the listeners. I know they thank you. <laughs> Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you could share with listeners? Uh, take imperfect action. It's it's how I live. It's, um, I think, the, the most important piece of advice that I've uh, offered to people over the years. And uh, I've seen it just play out in, in creating uh, tremendous success. Uh, we all have amazing potential within us. And what holds most of us back is not the tactic or the missing strategy. Um, it's that we, you know, we don't realize our potential because we don't take the action. And so just start taking the action, whatever it is that you, whether it's a personal thing or a business, um, you know, thing that you're working towards that you want to achieve, just start taking that action because, you know, the first step is the hardest one. And as you take it, uh, you'll find that it gets a little bit easier and a little bit easier. It doesn't mean that it's going to always be easy, but that's part of life, right? Challenges um, and failure is like that's innovation comes from failure. If you're not failing, it means you're not trying. Uh, so go out there, try new things, work towards what you want and you will get it. Uh, but you need to really be committed to it and to work towards it consistently. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. 
I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level. Bye.